Welcome to episode one of my new podcast. We are starting with the Count of Monte Cristo. Chapter one, Marseille, the arrival. On the 24th of February, 1815, the lookout of Notre Dame de la Garde signaled the three masts of the Pharaon from Smyrna, Trieste, and Naples. As usual, a pilot put off immediately and rounding the Chateau d'If, got on board the vessel between Cape Morgian and the Isle of Rion. Immediately, and according to custom, the platform of Fort St. Jean was covered with spectators. It is always an event at Marseille for a ship to come into port, especially when this ship, like the Ferron, has been built, rigged, and laden on the stocks of the old Fossi, and belonged to an owner of the city. The ship drew on. It had safely passed the strait, which some volcanic shock had made between the Isle of Calisarain and the Isle of Jaros, at double Pomeg, and approached the harbor under topsails jib and foresail, but so slowly and sedately that the idlers, with that instinct which misfortune sends before it, asked one another what misfortune could have happened on board. However, those experienced in navigation saw plainly that if any accident had occurred, it was not to the vessel herself, for she bore down with all the evidence of being skillfully handled, the anchor ready to be dropped, the bow's spirit shrouds loose, beside the pilot, was steering the Ferron by the narrow entrance of the Port Marseille was a young man who with activity and vigilant eye watched every motion of the ship and repeated each direction of the pilot. The vague disquietude which prevailed among the spectators had so much affected one of the crowd that he did not await the arrival of the vessel in harbor, but jumping into a small skip desired to be pulled alongside the Ferron, which he reached as she rounded the creek of La Reserve. When the young man on board saw this individual approach, he left his station by the pilot and came, hat in hand, to the side of the ship's bulwarks. He was a fine, tall, slim young fellow with black eyes and hair as dark as the raven's wing, and his whole appearance bespoke that calmness and resolution peculiar to men accustomed from their cradle to contend with danger. Ah, is it you, Dantes? cried the man in the skiff. What's the matter, and why have you such an air of sadness aboard? A great misfortune, M. Moreau, replied the young man. A great misfortune for me, especially. Off Savita Vecchia, we lost our brave Captain Leclerc. And the cargo, inquired the owner eagerly, is all safe, M. Morel, and I think you will be satisfied on that head. But poor Captain Leclerc. What happened to him? asked the owner with an air of considerable resignation. What happened to the worthy captain? He died. Fell into the sea? No, sir. He died of brain fever in dreadful agony. Then, turning to the crew, he said, Look out there, all ready to drop anchor. All hands obeyed. At the same moment, the eight or ten seamen, who composed the crew, sprung some to the main sheets, other to the braces, other to the halyards, other to the jib robes, and others to the topsail brails. The young sailor gave a look to see his orders were promptly and accurately obeyed, and then turned around to the owner. And how did this misfortune occur? inquired he, resuming the inquiry suspended for a moment. Alas, sir, in the most unexpected manner. After a long conversation with the harbor master, Captain Clare left Naples greatly disturbed in his mind. At the end of 24 hours, he was attacked by a fever and died three days afterwards. We performed the usual burial service and he is at his rest sewn up in his hammock with two cannonballs of 36 pounds each at his head and heels off the isle of el giglio we bring to his widow his sword and cross of honor 
It was worthwhile, truly, added the young man with a melancholy smile, to make war against the English for ten years and to die in his bed at last, like everyone else. Why, you see, Edmund, replied the owner, who appeared more comforted at every moment, we are all mortal, and the old must make way for the young. If not, there would be no promotion, and as you have assured me that the cargo is all safe and sound and moral, take my word for it, and I advise you not to take the 25,000 francs for the profits of the voyage. Then, as they were just passing the round tower, the young man shouted, Ready, there, to lower the topsails, foresail, and jib. The order was executed as promptly as if on board a man of war. Let go and brail all. At this last word, all the sails were lowered and the bark moved almost imperceptibly onward. Now, if you'll come on board, M. Morrill, said Dantes, observing the owner's impatience, here is your supercargo, M. Danglers, coming out of his cabin, who will furnish you with every particular. As for me, I must look after the anchoring and dress the ship in mourning. The owner did not wait twice to be invited. He seized a rope which Dantes flung to him and, with an activity that would have done credit to a sailor, climbed up the side of the ship while the young man, going to his task, left the conversation to the individual whom he had announced under the name of Danglers, who had now come towards the owner. He was a man of twenty-five or twenty-six years of age, of unprepossessing countenance, obsequious to his superiors, insolent to his inferiors, and then, besides his position as responsible agent on board, which is always obnoxious to the sailors. He was as much disliked by the crew as Edmond Dantes was beloved by them. Well, M. Morrill, said Danglers, you have heard of the misfortune that has befallen us? Yes, yes, poor Captain Leclerc. He was a brave and an honest man, and a first-rate seaman, grown old between the sky and ocean, as should a man charged with the interest of a house so important as that of Morrill and Son, replied Danglers. But, replied the owner, Following with his look, Dantes, who was watching the anchoring of his vessel, it seems to me that a sailor needs not to be as so old as you say, Danglers, to understand his business, for our friend Edmund seems to understand it thoroughly, and not to require instruction from anyone. Yes, said Danglers, casting toward Edmund a look in which a feeling of envy was strongly visible. Yes, he is young, and youth is invariably self-confident. Scarcely was the captain's breath out of his body than he assumed the command without consulting anyone, and he caused us to lose a day and a half at the Isle of Elba instead of making for the Marseille district. As to taking command of the vessel, replied Morrill, that was his duty as captain's mate. As to losing a day and a half off the Isle of Elba, he was wrong, unless the ship wanted some repair. The ship was as well as I am, and as I hope you are, M. Morrill, and this day and a half was lost from pure whim. For the pleasure of going ashore and nothing else. Dantes, said the shipowner, turning toward the young man, come this way. In a moment, sir, answered Dantes, and I'm with you. Then calling to the crew, he said, let's go. The anchor was instantly dropped and a chain ran rattling through the porthole. Dantes continued at his post in spite of the presence of the pilot until this maneuver was completed, and then he added, lower the pennant half-mast high, put the ensign in a weft, and slope the yards. You see, said Danglers, he fancies himself captain already, upon my word. And so, in fact, he is, said the owner, except your signature and your partner's, M. Morel. And why should he not have this, asked the owner. He is young, it is true, but he seems to me a thorough seaman and full of experience. A cloud passed over Danglers' brow. Your pardon, M. Morel, said Dantes, approaching. 
The ship now rides at anchor, and I'm at your service. You hailed me, I think. Danglers retreated a step or two. I wish to inquire why you stopped at the Isle of Elba. I do not know, sir. It was to fulfill the last instruction of Captain Leclerc, who, when dying, gave me a packet from the Marshal Bertrand. Then did you see him, Edmund? Who? The Marshal? Yes. Moro looked around, and then, drawing Dantes on one side, he said suddenly, And how is the Emperor? Very well, as far as I could judge from my eyes. You saw the Emperor, then? He entered the Marshal's apartment when I was there. And you spoke to him? Why was he who spoke to me, sir, said Dantes with a smile. And what did he say to you? Asked me questions about the ship, the time it left Marseille, the course she had taken, and what was her cargo. I believe if she had not been laden, and I had been her master, he would have bought her. But I told him I was only mate, and that she belonged to the firm of Morrill and Son. Ah, ah, he said, I know them. The Morrills have been ship owners from father to son. And there was a moral who served in the same regiment with me when I was in the garrison of Valence. Pardieu, and that is true, cried Theona, greatly delighted. And that was Policar Morel, my uncle, who was afterward a captain. Dantes, you must tell my uncle that the emperor remembered him, and you will see it will bring tears into the old soldier's eyes. Come, come, continued he, patting Edmund's shoulder kindly. You did very right, Dantes, to follow Captain Leclerc's instructions and touch at the island of Elba, although if it were known that you had conveyed a packet to the Marichel and had conversed with the Emperor, it might bring you into trouble. How could that bring me into trouble, sir? asked Dantes, for I did not even know of what I was the bearer, and the Emperor merely made such inquiries as he would of the first comer. But your pardon, here are the offices of health and the customs coming alongside, and the young man went to the gangway. As he departed, Danglars approached and said, Well, it appears that he given you satisfactory reasons for his landing at Porto Ferrero. Yes, most satisfactory, my dear Danglars. Well, so much the better, said the supercargo, for it's always super painful to see a comrade who does not do his duty. Dante has done his, replied the owner, and that is not saying much. It was Captain Leclerc who gave orders for this delay. Talking of Captain Leclerc, has not Dantes given you a letter from him? To me? No. Was there one? I believe that, besides the packet, Captain Leclerc had confided a letter to his care. Of what packet are you speaking, Danglers? Why, that which Dantes left at Porto Ferraro. How do you know he had a packet to leave at Porto Ferraro? Danglers turned very red. I was passing close to the door of the captain's cabin, which was half open, and I saw him give the packet and letter to Dantes. He did not speak to me of it, replied the shipowner, but if there be any letter, he will give it to me. Danglers reflected for a moment. Then, M. Morel, I beg of you, said he, not to say a word to Dantes on the subject. I may have been mistaken. At this moment, the young man returned, and Danglers retreated as before. Well, my dear Dantes, are you now free? inquired the owner. Yes, sir. You've not been long detained. No. I gave the custom house officers a copy of our bill of lading, and, as to the other papers, they sent a man off with the pilot to whom I gave them. Then you have nothing more to do here? No. All is arranged. Then you can come and dine with me? Excuse me, MRL. Excuse me, if you please. But my first visit is due to my father, though I am not the less grateful for the honor you have done me. Right, Dantes. Quite right. I always knew you were a good son. And inquired Dantes with some hesitation. Do you know how my father is? 
Well, I believe, my dear Edmund, though I have not seen him lately. Yes, he likes to keep himself shut up in his little room. That proves, at least, that he was wanted for nothing during your absence. Dantes smiled. My father is proud, sir, and if he had not a meal left, I doubt if he would have asked anything from anyone except God. Well then, after this first visit has been made, we rely on you. I must again excuse myself, Amoral, for after this first visit has been paid, I have another, which I am most anxious to pay. True, Dantes, I forgot that there was at the Catalans someone who expects you no less than your father, the lovely Mercedes. Dantes blushed. Aha, said the shipowner, that does not astonish me, for she had been to me three times inquiring if there was any news of the pharaon. Peste, Edmond, you have a very handsome mistress. She is not my mistress, replied the young sailor gravely. She is my betrothed. Sometimes one and the same thing, said Morel with a smile. Not with us, sir, replied Dantes. Well, well, my dear Edmund, continued the owner, do not let me detain you. You have managed my affairs as well that I ought to allow you all the time you require for your own. Do you want any money? No, sir. I have all my pay to take, nearly three months' wages. You are a careful fellow, Edmund. Say I have a poor father, sir. Yes, yes, I know how good a son you are, so now haste away to see your father. I have a son, too, and I should be very wroth with those who detained him from me after a three-month voyage. Then I have your leave, sir? Yes, if you have nothing more to say to me. Nothing. Captain Leclerc did not, before he died, give you a letter for me. He was unable to write, sir, but that reminds me that I must ask your leave of absence for some days. To get married? Yes, first, and then go to Paris. Very good. Have what time you require, Dantes. It will take quite six weeks to unload the cargo, and we cannot get you ready for sea until three months after that. Only be back again in three months for the pharaon, added the owner, patting the young sailor on the back. Cannot sail without her captain. Without her captain, cried Dantes his eyes sparkling with animation. Pray mind what you say, for you are touching on the most secret wishes of my heart. Is it really your intention to nominate me captain of the Pharaon? If I were sole owner, I would nominate you this moment, my dear Dantes, and say that it is settled. But I have a partner, and you know the Italian proverb, che a compano a padron. He who has a partner has a master. But the thing is at least half done as you have one out of two voices. Rely on me to procure you the other. I will do my best. Ah, M. Morel, exclaimed the young seaman, with tears in his eyes and gasping the owner's breath. M. Morel, I thank you in the name of my father and of Mercedes. Good, good, Edmund. There's a sweet little shrub that sits aloft that keeps a good watch for good fellows. Go to your father, go and see Mercedes, and come to me afterwards. Shall I row you on shore? No, I thank you. I shall remain and look over the account of Danglars. Have you been satisfied with him this voyage? This is according to the sense you attach to the question, sir. Do you mean he is a good comrade? No, for I think he never liked me since the day when I was silly enough, after a little quarrel we had, to propose to him to stop for ten minutes at the Isle of Monte Cristo to settle the dispute, a proposition which I was wrong to suggest, and he was quite right to refuse. If you mean as a responsible agent that you ask me the question, I believe there is nothing to say against him, and that you will be content with the way in which he has performed his duty. But tell me, Dantes, if you had command of the Faron, should you have pleasure in retaining Danglars? Captain or mate, Amoral, 
replied Dantes. I shall always have the greatest respect for those who possess our owner's confidence. Good, good, Dantes. I see you are a thorough good fellow and will detain you no longer. Go, for I see how impatient you are. Then I have leave? Go, I tell you. May I have the use of your skiff? Certainly. Then for the present, M. Morrow, farewell and a thousand thanks. I hope soon to see you again, my dear Edmund. Good luck to you. The young sailor jumped into the skiff and sat down in the stern, desiring to be put ashore at the Cannabiere. The two rowers bent to their work, and the little boat glided away as rapidly as possible in the midst of the thousand vessels which choke up the narrow way, which leads between the two rows of ships from the mouth of the harbor to the Quai d'Orleans. The shipowner, smiling, followed him with his eyes until he saw him spring out on the quay and disappear in the midst of the throng, which from five o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night choke up this famous street of the Cannabiere, of which the modern Fascines are so proud and say with all the gravity in the world and with that accent which gives so much character to what is said. If Paris had the Cannabiere, Paris would be a second Marseille. On turning around, the owner saw Danglars behind him, who apparently attended his orders, but in reality followed, as he did, the young sailor with his eyes. Only there was a great difference in the expression of the look of the two men who thus watched the movements of Edmond Dantes.